The Matt Hasselbeck Show. Presented by Infinity of Bellevue and Linwood. Seahawks legend Matt Hasselbeck takes you inside the Seahawks and the NFL for a full hour. Exclusively on the Mike Sox Show. Yep, it's time for the Matt Hasselbeck Hour here on 710 ESPN Seattle with Matt Hasselbeck. Hello, sir. How we doing? What's up? How are we doing? I'm excited to be with you guys. Well, yeah, it's, it was a heck of a weekend. If, if last weekend was in any way disappointing wildcard weekend, I mean, it's three days later, and I feel like no one, the buzz is not really worn off for anybody from just how incredible the divisional weekend of games was. So good. Like, amazing. And, you know, and I also think, like, the opportunity to watch these games while people are on social media, live posting, live, you know, talking back and forth to each other, using memes, telling jokes, being critical, being complimentary. It just kind of sort of adds to the experience, you know, and so uh, I think that adds to kind of like the overall game experience. And then these quarterbacks are playing uh, just so incredible, some of them. So, uh, yeah, really fun, really so, fun. So let's talk through them a little bit. I mean, uh, you know, specifically the game where everybody watched Sunday night with Mahomes and Josh Allen. What is setting those guys apart? And I know you'll probably want to put Joe Burrow into that category as well. Well, Joe Burrow didn't play in that game, but yeah, the, I just think that the quarterbacks today are so much better than the quarterbacks um, that came before them. Like they're they're just some of the stuff that they're doing now. And I'm not really talking about like the arm strength and the athleticism and the size and all that stuff. Like, sure. That stuff is probably very true, but just all the different stuff they're doing at the line of scrimmage, the way that these offenses have evolved. Now they think like, Hey, there's 13 seconds left. Yeah, we can do this. Like there's enough time to do, um, you know, the stuff that they're doing. So it's, I'm just really impressed. I mean, I, I obviously loved watching quarterback play and those two guys kind of what they put on that night was just, uh, it was just, it was jaw dropping. It really was. Yeah, it, it was, it was remarkable. I, I was telling these guys that, you know, we made picks on Friday and just out of competition, it's not like I had a real rooting interest in any of these games. But because I had a pick, now all of a sudden I had a dog in the fight. And I was rooting for all the four picks I made. Like, you know, it was my kids playing in the game, which was stupid. <laughs> but, like, yeah. I had picked Mahomes and I picked the Chiefs. So I was, like, screaming and swearing. It was really embarrassing, quite frankly. You just Good thing you weren't around. But the, the watching them go back and forth. You ever seen anything like 13 seconds, a drive in 13 seconds? Well, no, it it almost felt like a basketball game to me in a way, and I just really just impressed globally with the NFL. Like the state of the NFL is so strong right now in football, and just like the the talent level and the the ratings, and just a game like that. You know, we we pick those games. You know, also on our Sunday countdown show, and honestly, like you sit there, you go back and forth and back and forth. You don't know. It's almost like you're guessing uh-huh. half half the time. It's an educated guess, but you're you're sort of guessing who's going to end up with the ball last. And and it's funny, like when the game ends, whatever team you did not pick comes at you so hard on social media. Like, see, I told you, you're an idiot <laughs> right. for thinking that. And it's like, hold up. <laughs> like, this game was, thir- I was 13 seconds away from being right. Like, <laughs> I mean, and by the way, I'm not rooting against. I'm just sort of, I don't know. I, I saw what Joe Burrow did to the Kansas City Chiefs in week 17. So why wouldn't I think that Stefan Diggs and Josh Allen could do that? Like, and uh, they did. You know, how? Yeah, well, with the exception of Stefan Diggs, you know, they, they kind of shut him down. But still, Josh Allen was like, yeah, it's okay. I'll find Gabe Davis for 200 yards and four touchdowns. Like, oh, what? Who's that? It, it was really, really fun to watch. Uh, very exciting. What do you make of the overtime rule? 
Yeah, listen, th- that's an interesting one. I've sat in those competition committees meetings when I was, uh, you know, an executive uh, committee member with the NFLPA. And those conversations are very different than what you hear on talk radio and what you hear on, on, on TV. Like, basically, those conversations are very data driven with medical personnel. And they're things like, hey, we really care about health and safety. Like, here's the amount of plays players play typically in a game. And now with hurry-up offense and all this other kind of stuff, guys are actually playing more plays in a shorter amount of time. And so it's hardest on the bigger guys usually. And if the bigger guy goes out, now your quarterbacks are in danger, and now the product is in danger. And so it's a, a lot of time it's a health and safety thing. So I, I've heard things where people just want to play an extra quarter. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, I mean – Again, these these receivers and DBs, they're more like sprinters than they are like marathoners. So uh, that that doesn't that doesn't jive with them very well. So I, I think like the health and safety of it in terms of like how many plays are played mm-hmm. is going to be the main factor that uh, when this thing end up ends up getting voted on, you know how how they'll how they vote. I, I can I can understand that, but the flip side of it is it just it doesn't feel right at all. It doesn't feel even. The, the, there are so many rules in the NFL that have now pushed towards the offensive side of the ball and made it easier to move the ball offensively in the playoffs, especially I don't really care too much about the regular season, but in the playoffs, you've got the best quarterbacks in the game who are incredible and are the best quarterbacks because of their ability to score in those two minute situations. It just doesn't seem right to give them the ball and say to the other team, sorry, you have a defense. You're supposed to stop them. They're not going to stop them. And, And they haven't now to the tune of 10 times the team that's won the coin toss has won the game. Yeah, and out of listen, eleven, I should say ten out of eleven. Yeah, right. So ten and one is the winning team in, under the new rules. Well, they changed the rule. I mean, they changed the rule for exactly what you're talking. about. I know. They it, changed. They, yeah. yeah, they changed the rule to make it more difficult to give the defense an advantage. So, so what would you do? Uh, I mean, listen. The best, honestly, you're not going to like my answer, but the best thing that I have heard <laughs> came from uh, my old teammate Pat McAfee. And essentially, like in hockey, when overtime is over, say overtime ends in a tie, right? Um, so this doesn't really solve your overtime question, except for maybe you play the whole, you know, the whole thing out. He he's sort of recommending a, a form of a shootout. Mm-hmm. Okay, so again, I, I'll screw this up because he knows the exactly what he <laughs> said better than me. But it's essentially you take both kickers, and there's no pass rush, there's no nothing. They just walk out there, and there's a tee. And, like, you know, you can imagine, like, people are going crazy. The TV shots is everybody on the sidelines, like, you know, on a knee, praying, all this stuff. And the guy kicks it from, who knows, the 20. Right. And then the other guy, 20. Now we go back, 25, 25, 30, yeah. 30. We go back to, if we got to kick 65-yard field goals off a tee, we're kicking 65-yard <laughs> field goals off a tee. And just the drama, like, the the... I don't know. It just reminds me of the World Cup or, uh, you know, NHL or something like that. But um, yeah, you're right. I don't like it. I would like that in the regular season, but not in the postseason. I no, can in the regular if... season. In the regular season, you're just going to end in a tie, in, which in, is fine too. I would be fine yeah. with that. I mean, I grew up watching hockey. I don't mind games that end in a tie. Well, here's here's the here's the other part of the Pat McAfee thing. If the kickers like do it all, now it's got to be the non-kicker. <laughs> Bring out the non. And then here's how it ends. Ready? Here's how it ends. If if tied after that, you pick a fan. And, and another fan, and the fans decide. How do you like that? <laughs> that will definitely end in a tie because the fans aren't doing anything. You, you'll appreciate that. You mem- remember the name Eddie and 
Gentleman, who, who when we were growing up in Boston, was like sort of the dean of sports radio there. When I was a kid, my dad called him to complain about overtime rules. And Eddie, who had a real thick Boston accent, says, you know, I always thought that each team should have like 53 players and one archer. And at the end of the game, like both teams would put out a target and the archers would come out. And whoever was closest, they'd get the ball to start overtime. Wow. That, was, that was his big solution. He's a, he, was ahead of, he was ahead of his time. Here's my well, answer. How well, about this? Well, real quick on, on the overtime thing, because you know, I've heard from people, you know, mostly kids on TikTok, about <laughs> the overtime in my uh, Al Harris interception. Yes. Like in that game, we had the ball. And we went, you know, we went down, we, you know, we, we actually fumbled, they reviewed it, they gave us back the ball, we punted, sure. you know, that defense stopped us mm-hmm. once, then Brett Favre has the ball and he's running, coming down and like, oh shoot, we just lost the game. Our, our defense stopped them. We, we got another opportunity, and that was when that was the drive that I ended up throwing that interception. So, like, the defense is allowed to make plays. Sure. Now, I, I know 10 and 1 doesn't really sound like defenses are making plays, but. Um, I, of you know, course, I, the defenses are. It's just, but sometimes they don't, and then it's not fair to the other side. But why doesn't your defense have to make plays? Why does my team have to be the only defense to make plays? I think that's kind of the. The crux of it, I, I would suggest this. If, if, if everything you said was true about the, about the amount of time that the guys are out on the field, leave the overtime rules the same. But in, in, in the playoffs, instead of giving the ball to the winner of a coin toss, give it to the higher seed. Just say what you've done in the regular season is worth something. And so because of it, we're going to give you the ball in overtime and you get, yeah. the, you get the advantage that you've earned rather than yeah. you get the advantage that you've lucked into. They're not going to do that. That's not. They're not going to do that. I've sure. sat in those meetings. I, I just don't think that they're they're they love the approach of a zero zero situation once the game starts. Uh, the, but it, it makes for it makes for great conversation. And the the way it comes up is someone will nominate an idea and then it goes to the floor and then people vote on it. So it's uh, it's pretty fascinating Why you there? how that gets done. They at the combine they they kind of bring in the NFLPA and they kick around and maybe some like like one year they were talking about getting rid of the kickoffs or changing the kickoff rules and instead of just doing it by themselves they like to hear from they brought in like all the special teams coaches I remember when they were uh, came up with like the targeting idea they brought in maybe five or six uh, free and strong safeties in the NFL and they said okay what do you think. What do you think about this rule? And it was great dialogue. I remember sitting in a meeting with, uh, you know, Mike Tomlin was in there, and and really he was the strongest voice and uh, the the voice that I, I appreciated the most. And he he sat up and he was like, hey hey DBs, listen, the where where we're going as an NFL as a league, kind of trying to be leaders in this area of health and safety. This is no longer a play that we as coaches expect you to make as a safety. Like that's just going to be a catch now. Like you don't launch to this guy's head with your eyes closed. You, that's just going to be a catch, and that's how we got a coach to it, and that's how you're going to have to play to it. And it was the the message was received so much better hearing from a coach and key leader players hearing it from a coach rather than you know some so funny. person who's a GM. You, you, it's so funny, Matt, when you tell a story like that. I can't help but bring it back. Not to keep harping on the overtime thing, but that's the reason why the overtime rules need to be different than they were when you were playing. Because of all of those changes they've made to benefit the offense, hey, yeah. now that's just a catch. Well, yeah, the defense is allowed to make plays, but not, not as many as they used to, right? The offense, yeah. now that gets to just be a catch, and it's not an expectation. Yeah, no, and, and I agree, and I agree the OT rules are changing. I'm just talking about yeah. how, they're, how yeah. they're going to get changed. It's going to be, first and foremost, yep. uh, a health and safety thing about how many plays we're playing. Some of these teams are playing on short weeks, you know, all of it. 
Hey, one of the conversations we've been having here at the station, Jake and I have kind of been going back and forth, Jake Heaps, about you know how teams are building around their franchise quarterbacks. When you look at whether it's Mahomes or Allen or Burrow or any of these guys that are either left or impressed us this past week, how did how do you think they've built around the individual strengths of those quarterbacks? Well, not what not one way. I mean, shoot. Uh... Kansas City traded up to get Patrick Mahomes. They had a team that was already built. You know, Alex Smith was that quarterback. Mm -hmm. Ended up having the best quarterback rating in the NFL that year. Mahomes' rookie year where he didn't even play. And uh, was the starter in the Pro Bowl. And, they just, you know, he plopped into a really good team. And just and, and never looked back. Uh, Joe Burrow, the, sort of the opposite. Like, they, they invested nothing into the offensive line his his rookie year, and, and they, uh, you know, said, hey, man, like, we want you to do what Peyton Manning did and Troy Aikman did. We want you to just come out here and learn on the fly, and hopefully you stay healthy, and, and he didn't. You know, he ended the year with a major, you know, catastrophic knee surgery and came back from that, and that, that injury – you know, they had such a bad year, they were in position to go ahead and draft Jamar Chase, but they still got to fix the offensive line. I mean, that that offensive line has given up more sacks than any offensive line in, in all of football. And here, yet here, they, nine sacks last week, and yet here they are uh, in the AFC Championship game. So it, it's different. There's not, like, one way to do it, but uh, but the, the key thing is having the right guy under center. Well, and I think that's why we've been arguing about it a little bit here is, is what is the best way to, quote-unquote, build around Russell? Wilson is it about getting him weaponry is it about protecting him with an offensive line is it about coming back and having the the, the killer defense like they did during the Legion of Boom years you know what what do you look to when you try to figure out the best the best roster to build around a specific quarterback yeah it's an it's a it's a very interesting question uh the irony of the question though is that this what the Seahawks did is what everyone tried to copy for years. Mm -hmm. They built the team, they built this great defense, they built the team, and then they started a rookie quarterback and they had a guy in a rookie deal play really good football and take him to the Super Bowl. And then all around the league it was like, well, how do you how do you get to the Super Bowl? How do you win the Super Bowl? And it's well, you need to get a quarterback on his rookie deal like Seattle did because then you can spend money on pass rushers and DBs and like all the all the stuff that caught other stuff that costs a lot of money. You know, so so it's sort of ironic now that, you know, Seattle's in kind of another phase of this. Like, how do you how do you get back to where you were when when you don't have a quarterback on a rookie deal? Yeah, it, it, it's a good point. And none of these quarterbacks are now right. All four that are left are other than Joe Burrow. Three of the other three. Right. Are all not on their rookie deals. They're all getting paid. Stafford's getting big money and, and all of that. Uh, Garoppolo yeah, so, got paid. Right. I mean, they've so, all gotten paid at this point. Other than yeah, other so than there's Burrow. one guy in a rookie deal, and that's Joe Burrow. But like, I, I think the 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 you know you can't just magically create a Patrick Mahomes or you know a guy like that. But San Francisco is interesting because it's not like they're getting elite quarterback play out of their quarterback. They're getting good quarterback play. But we're really where they're unbelievable is what they've done recently on defense has been outstanding. They didn't give up a touchdown to Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers last week. Their special teams are great, and they run the heck out of the ball. And they have playmakers. You know, Debo Samuel's a playmaker. They have Kittle, who's a playmaker. And so, like, to me, like, when I think about what Pete Carroll is always talking about, what he wants to be as a team, it, he's really describing what the San Francisco 49ers have done here of late in terms of they've just sort of found ways to dominate primarily 
um, you know, in the areas like I talked about with defense and, and, and run game and then making big plays in the passing game when they're there. Talking to Matt Hasselbeck, as we do on Wednesdays for the Matt Hasselbeck Show here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Uh, there are also four offensive coaches left of the four coaches, head coaches, all four of them come from the offensive side of things. Do you think that's coincidence? Do you think that's the future? What do you make of that? Yeah, I usually try not to to get too wrapped up in uh, like the tendencies as we go through the playoffs. I think the best way to look at those things is to look at the Super Bowl and then look back the last few years of it. Because I, I just remember like there was a few times where we were talking about you know whether it was divisional round um, or even wild card round where we were talking about like oh it's it's the age of the mobile quarterback it's the age of the mobile quarterback and like I, I respect the heck out of the mobile quarterback I really do I really do but if you go and look at Super Bowl matchups for like years and years and years it's always like a Tom Brady and even going back to like Nick Foles and Matt Ryan and like Patrick Mahomes is definitely a mobile quarterback but you know, people sleep on the fact that he's such a rhythm passer from inside the pocket as well. Like he gets the ball out of his hands very, very quickly, uh, typically, you know, and so like, I think the best thing to look at trend wise, it would be very easy to say, Hey, offensive coaches are in the championship game. There's nine head coaching opportunities. We need to go look for offensive guys. Yeah. Well, newsflash, the, the best NFL coach of all time is a defensive head coach in Bill Belichick. The best college football coach of all time is a defensive defensive head coach in Nick Saban. So I, I don't I don't know that I would uh, I don't know that I have a great answer for mm-hmm. you though. Other than I like to have I guess maybe more of a narrow focus and in, in a in more context than just what's going on. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree with that. I think it's probably more coincidence. And there, my guess is if you went through it, there are more offensive coaches in the NFL in general which might lead to some of that. I know you obviously played for Holmgren for a long time, was an offensive guy. Did you have a defensive a head coach who came from the defensive side of things at some point in your career? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I had two in Seattle. Two in Seattle would be Jim Mora oh, and right. Pete Carroll. And Pete, and, yes, you know, duh. You know, so those would be two. Yeah, I mean. How does that, how does that, how does that um, play itself out in the building week to week? Definitely see things through the lens of the, you know, of a defensive minded person. Like I remember on Thursdays we would practice, it was like turnover drill and literally in quarterback individual, we would practice jumping on fumbles. It was like, cause this is turnover day. We need to practice jumping on fumbles. And it was like, Whoa, I, I've never even heard of this before. Like, this is a thing. Like I didn't know, but I'm not saying it wasn't important. Is that because an offensive head coach would assume you're never going to fumble? Yeah. It's like, Hey, we don't fumble. Right. No fumbles around here. You know, ball security is job security. Like there's no fumbling. Like, we don't even want to talk about it, you know, or we want to talk about it. We don't want to do it. Right, like uh, you jinx it by even mentioning it. Yeah, or like even in scout team, like scout team, if you have an offensive head coach, he's going to say, hey, complete as many passes as you can against our first team defense. Like, that's what that's the goal of scout team. And then with a defensive head coach, it'd be like, hey, 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 I want you to throw as many interceptions in this drill to our starting defense as possible. I want to get them used to catching the ball and, and catching tips and overthrows and all those kinds of things. What do you say that? Hey, let's good. turn this over to the to the backup. I don't want to start throwing a bunch of picks. Let somebody else do that. No, no, they are, they are saying that to the back. Oh, okay. But you I'm, don't have I, to but, do I, it. but I'm just saying the mind. 
mindset of like of of right you know at least people that i've been around offensive coaches and defensive coaches uh hey this is a defensive drill we're going to do it for the defense if we throw in 10 plays 10 interceptions hey this is a great practice for the defense and and, you know in fairness to like the offensive stuff mike holmgren would you know if he's going to call a screen pass he would make sure at practice he would make sure our scout team defense was rush a four-man rush rushing up the field not breaking up the pass he wanted it to be perfect so that the offensive line in the running back got the rhythm and the timing of the screen pass mm-hmm. the wide receivers got the rhythm and the timing of the screen pass no one's downfield illegally no one's blocking beforehand and so that when the bullets are flying in a real game that we all have this muscle memory of what it's supposed to be like and you adjust if you have to and so it's just a different like mindset of i think how you want to practice um not saying that one is right and one is wrong but uh there's definitely a difference that you feel as a player Hey, this is a little uh, out of left field, but we had a conversation here over the last couple of days about legacy. And uh, as a guy who played as long as you did and had the kind of success that you did, especially here, did, did you think about your legacy and what that word might mean along the way? No, I, I think you're so focused on the task at hand that there's no there's no real time for that. The the only time I ever remember thinking about that is when I was when I when I was leaving mm-hmm. when I left essentially. Uh, my last conversation with uh, the team with uh, John Schneider and Pete Carroll was kind of hey we're we're gonna. Uh, go in a different direction here. You know, like, uh, it's got to end at some point. This, we feel like this is a good time to clean break. The NFL lockout was ending. So I had to find a new team. And there were two teams that I was choosing between. And one was a rival of the Seahawks. And then one was totally not. And so it was like, hmm, like, maybe that's the first time I ever, I don't know if legacy is even the right word, but like, you know, how do I want things to sure. how do you want to be remembered going here? forward? You know what I mean? I don't know if it was. Yeah, I don't know. I just I didn't want to feel like a traitor. But um, but yeah, that I think that was the very first time that I ever felt like I ever thought that far down the line. You, you mentioned that a few years or a few weeks ago, right? You, you your other option was in San Francisco, right? You just felt that like you couldn't go mm-hmm. do it. Did yeah. you almost think back and put yourself in a fan's perspective and think about being a kid when favorite players ended up leaving to go to an enemy team or something? Did you try to think of it from their perspective? You know, ironically, the situation I thought of was Steve Hutchinson, uh, huh. um, my, my good friend and my teammate who was like, you know, Mr. Seahawk to me, uh, was everything you were looking for in a teammate. And the way that, you know, he left with poison pill and all that, it was like, Oh, man, that was a tough one for us. You know, it was tough to lose him as a player and as a friend, and he was a great player and a great teammate. But, you know, I think that was ironically the thing that I thought of um, the most. And, and, and so now I'm so glad that it's, like, all good with, with him and the Seahawks and everything. And, and um, yeah, but that that's who I thought of. I wondered if you went back to your child. Like, for me, if I were in that spot, I feel like I would have thought back on we were just talking about Roger Clemens and yeah. what it felt like. I mean, he was my hero as a kid to have him not just leave, but then go to teams in the same division and eventually the, the rival, you know, I went from loving him to hating him as a, as a fan. And I, I, you know, I, if I were in your spot, I wonder if I would kind of try to think that way. I don't know if I would would try to, you know, I was a I was a huge Roger Clemens fan growing up. Like that was my guy, yeah. and uh, he I think he went to the Blue Jays yep. though. So like if he, it's maybe a great example. Like if he had gone to the Yankees, that would have been a real problem. He did eventually, and it was awful. And I hated him and, for and, it. And listen, he did when I was much much older. Oh, so then you were a, more mature. No, I, it was a little bit of a problem for me. <laughs> Listen, I even remember I, when I was in Seattle, there were some great guys on the Mariners at the time, and I was I was buddies with 
guys like Raul Labanez. And like when he went to the Yankees, I was like, like <laughs> dude, like, and he's like one of the greatest guys I've ever known. Couldn't and be I'm that like, great if he decided to wear the Yankee pinstripes. I think that's we could what all I'm agree. saying. How great that's a guy is he really? All right. You know, so, you know, I'm an adult and I can't even get over it. <laughs> Who so, can blame you? Uh, it didn't feel right. All right. Dirty. We'll, we'll be right back a little bit more with Matt. We're going to do some rapid fire from the postseason, including uh, some quick stories here about some guys that are in the news, the future for Tom Brady and Aaron Rodgers and others. Don't go anywhere. More with Matt next. The Matt Hasselbeck Show, presented by Infinity of Bellevue and Linwood. Every Wednesday from 9 to 10. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On 710 ESPN Seattle. All right, Matt's ranking things that you suggested coming up in 15 minutes. That'll be fun. Before we do it, got a whole bunch of sort of quick questions for Matt. So we'll do sort of a rapid fire segment uh you ready matt are you prepared for rapid fire we've been doing it the last few weeks let's go i'm actually fired up about the listener questions oh questions. we got good ones too yeah they should lead to some good stories so here you go rapid fire football questions let's start here who was the biggest hero of the divisional round weekend kickers man kickers dominated right uh but besides them i thought gabriel davis on a losing effort the wide receiver for the buffalo bills eight catches 201 yards four touchdowns one of the best routes i've ever seen that like corner post where he dropped the db uh for the chiefs on his on on his back that, that was an incredible route but uh field goal kicking is, was was right up there and i think that's going to continue to be a story i was going to hope you were hoping you were going with my guy debo Third and seven running play with your wide receiver for the win. That's and set good. up what? Set up what? A game winning kick. <laughs> That's true. A snow okay. kick. A snow kick by by uh, you know Gould. Good as gold. It was, it was good. good Are one. you willing to say who was the biggest goat this weekend? Goat, as in like like not, not the, the good kind of goat. Hmm. I mean, it, it was it was almost the uh, L.A. Rams. They almost gave that game away. Yeah. You know, like for for a team that's so so talented, you know, would they have? I think one player had four fumbles. Their running back, Cam Akers, I think had four fumbles. Like yeah. There were opportunities there to, to walk away as a GOAT, not the GOAT. But, uh, but no, I, I don't know. I don't know that I would. Uh, How about Bruce Arians and, and Todd Bowles for the defense on the final play there? That was really bad. That was really <laughs> bad. But, 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 but it was also an amazing play by Matthew Stafford. Yeah. And sometimes these quarterbacks that overcome your mistakes – it's, it's it's impressive to me. So yeah, but I, I think that was really incredible play by Cooper Cup and Stafford. All right, well maybe that will be your answer. But non quarterback who stood out on offense for you this week? Yeah, D- well you mentioned Debo. I mean Debo has done it all, and you know he does it as a wide receiver. Obviously, they're putting him in the backfield and probably one of the best running attacks in all of football. They're using a wide receiver as their top running back. And, and go back to the last matchup between the 49ers and the Rams. Debo Samuel threw a touchdown pass on Jalen Ramsey in that game. So he's done it all. In the Green Bay game, he was a kick returner. He, he does it as a runner. He does it as a receiver. And he did it in the last matchup as a thrower. So to me, Debo, like you said, he's, he's kind of done it all for them. All right, how about the other side of the ball? Give me a defensive player that stood out the most to you this weekend. 
You know, I think for the Kansas City Chiefs, Chris Jones was probably the guy. He's a de- defensive tackle, so he doesn't get the the shine and the love that a lot of people, you know, would love to give. You know, outside rushers, you know, the the Watts and you know stuff like that. But he is such a factor. And you go, go, you know, you look at what's going to happen this next, next, next game against the Cincinnati Bengals. Cincinnati Bengals, Joe Burrow, the most sacked quarterback in the NFL, nine sacks this past week. I'll say this about Burrow though. Even though he's been sacked that mo that much, he's only lost two foot two fumbles all year long. So with Chris Jones and that pass rush that's coming, he has to continue to protect the football. We went with Jeffrey Simmons, so kind of the same type of position, right? Those just interior disruptive defensive tackles. Yeah, and he lost, and, and he lost too. I yeah, I know. Go that? figure. But how, yeah. how hard are those guys to find? You know, I think it's it's hard to find, and then it's all hard. they can't do it by themselves as well. You know, like that's part of it too. When you watch D line play, like they really got to orchestrate it all together. And uh, you know, I, I think that's you know there were some great performances also. Like I almost said to you, Josh Allen, because I thought Josh Allen's performance was so incredible, like as a quarterback. And you know, it's one of these debates that you always hear: is are wins a quarterback stat? And, like, I have a hard time saying that Josh Allen uh, had a worse game than, say, Jimmy Garoppolo. You know what I mean? So, like, it's a it's a tough thing. And, and I think defensive line, wide receivers, there's some other positions that you're, you're definitely you rely on the success of the people that are playing next to you. Uh, where is Aaron Rodgers playing next week? Next year, rather. He's not playing next, next week. week. I can he's guarantee you he's not week. playing. Golf course, maybe. You can tell me which, yeah. <laughs> which, I'll say which he's, 18 he's, he's playing. He's going to have every option that he wants. And and to me, I think the Denver Broncos are the team that makes the most sense because it makes the most sense for the Green Bay Packers as well. The Green Bay Packers are not going to let him go to an NFC team. They're going to they're going to have him go to an AFC team. Much like when Brett Favre left, they weren't going to let him go to the Minnesota Vikings. They sent him to the New York Jets. Now he found his way to the Minnesota <laughs> Vikings, which, you know, that could happen. But uh but I would if I had to put money on a team, I would put my money on the Denver Broncos. How about Tom Brady? Will he play next year? I don't think he will. And um you know, I, I really thought it was just crazy talk to think that he was going to walk away. But when I heard him talk the other day on the on that podcast mm-hmm. that he does, everything he was saying was what I was feeling as a forty year old quarterback who was who had you know started nine games in the NFL, and I was really just it was a family thing, and it, it wasn't that it wasn't that I wasn't enjoying football. It, it was that. I, I think I just enjoyed the stuff that was going on with my as my kids were getting older. I was missing out on things that uh, it's a seven day a week job, really in the NFL. And for the way Tom Brady does it, it's it seems like it's seven days a week, three sixty five. And I think his oldest child's about to be fifteen years old. And and I just when I when I heard what he was saying, I really felt like wow. I think I think it's it. I think he's uh, I think he's going to walk away this year. It's so funny. I think that we tend to get upset and say, "Oh my God, you're playing a dream job," and I can't believe you're going to walk away. People work until they're in their sixties. I'd walk away from this job tomorrow if I was set for life. Like I'd love to just hang out with my kids and be retired. Like I can't. Yeah, I don't, for that. I don't think it has. Yeah, I don't think it has anything to do with that for him. Like I think he loves the competitive nature sure. of playing, and he loves the, you know, the the challenges that they come. But like anybody who is a parent knows, like that is the the toughest and the best job that you'll ever have. And to give it your all and to be a great parent, it's uh, like anyone can be a parent, but to be a great parent. Takes a lot of work, and uh, you want to be the best at it. I don't care who you are. I... And and li- and listen, listen. Uh, just about Brady. 
This dude has spent more than a year of his life in the NFL playoffs. There's some great players that like. So just think about that for a second. How long he has done it and the, at the high level that he has done it. So uh, to me, he's got he's got nothing left to prove. I notice people don't walk away and say they've got to be around their kids more when their kids are really little. <laughs> no one's like, hey, I've got a one and a half year old and a two and a half year old at home. I've got to retire because I really want to be around them more. They uh, wait until they're fifteen. Uh, you want to go to like all their AAU basketball <laughs> right. games. That's that's more what I'm talking about. Hey, my kid throws your... seven tantrums a day. I'm thinking I need to be home a little bit longer to listen to them. No, we've just learned uh, that Salk wants to be, wait till they're old enough that he can complain about them leaving lights on. And <laughs> hey, do you do that? You're a dad. Do you do you walk around your house just turning all the lights off? Uh, no, but, but that's that's not where I'm where I'm at right now. But I'll say this: Tuesdays in the NFL are typically like the players' quote unquote day off. You know that all the players that had kids when I was in Seattle, at least uh, Wednesday, we were gassed, we were exhausted. <laughs> Coaches would be like, "Oh, yesterday was your day off." We we're like, "No, it's not. No, that that was like that that was the hardest day of my week." Right? Like, yesterday was my vac- wife's day off. Well, I mean, I don't know that they ever have a day off, but like th- this was this like work is like off time in a way compared to like three kids. Like if, when you have three car seats across the back, that that's the, that's when you're in the thick of it. Jeez. All right. There you go. That's a little rapid fire with Matt Hasselbeck. We do that weekly uh, at nine 30 during our hour with Matt. All right. Uh, we asked you guys to make some suggestions for ranked for this week. And uh, we've got some good ones. We're going to do it a little differently though. We've got one answer for Matt, his number one, on uh, four or five different topics. So we'll run through those next with Matt Hasselbeck here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Got a list? Time to put it in order. Fred Dwarmfor's house. Top five. Top five meals that I have ever had. This is ranked. To be honest, that list was really biased. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. Every morning at 945 on the Mike Salk Show. That top ten list. I'm not buying that. Ranked. A texter here says Salk said he would walk away from this job. Could he, please? Maybe, if I had the right amount of money. Sure. I'll hang out with my kids all day. But, you know. You sure you want to do that? Your kids would be begging for you to go back to work. (laughs) No kidding. Everybody wants me to be somewhere else away from them. What a life I've carved out for myself. All right, Matt, let's go. We've got uh, a ranking for today, and we uh, we threw it out to the people, these same texters who want me to walk away, and we asked them what what you should rank. So we've got a few different subjects, and we'll let you kind of pick and choose. We'll start here. Best Holmgren Moments. All right, well, that would be hard to pick one. But my funniest Holmgren moment was I did something really bad on the football field early in my career in Seattle at practice. And Mike Holmgren, instead of yelling at me, turns to the sideline, and there's two guys taking a knee on the sideline. It's Robbie Tobeck, our center, and Trent Dilfer, our veteran quarterback. And he screams at them. And he says, hey, I'm looking for you two guys to take this team, put them on your back, and take us where we want to go. In classic Robbie Tobeck style, he says to Trent, Man, I really hope there's two people standing behind us right now. (laughs) (laughs) But but, but besides moments like that, Mike Holmgren's best saying that I still use today is quarterbacks. 
be an artist, not a blacksmith. Okay. Be an artist, paint your canvas. And even with what I'm doing at ESPN right now, like I work with these people who make highlight tapes for me and stuff like that as we're making them, I'd give like them a lot of freedom. Like, Hey, be an artist. You, you, you're, you know, better than me in this situation. You're the one doing it. And that, that was one of the great things about Mike Holmgren's coaching style. He coached his quarterbacks that way. He coached his coaches that way. That's why I think a lot of his coaches like Andy Reid and guys like that have gone on to flourish as head coaches themselves. It's funny you bring up that saying, cause I've heard Brock say that any number of times and say that Holmgren would say that to him and his response is always kind of I think I was a blacksmith and not an artist <laughs> like I just needed somebody to tell me what to do I didn't have the artistic flair so mm, uh, another one from the texters best letters from fans a lot of great letters and a lot of great gifts I mean some stuff especially from people in the military that's just really touching the stuff that they send to you it means a lot um, pictures are awesome but the the funniest one was my rookie year in Green Bay like I'd walk by the mailboxes every every day and like look for fan mail and I never had any fan mail and Reggie White his box is full Brett Favre his mailbox is full and then one day I get a letter from a fan like a real fan and in it's not like my mom or someone I'm related to and I, I open the letter and this this is on camera. They were like following me around that day. And I open the letter and I read it on camera. It says, Dear Mr. Hasselbeck, Brett Favre doesn't get to all his all of his, all of his fan mail. Do you think you could get this <laughs> autographed by Brett Favre? I was like, Ugh. So it was kind of a humiliating moment, but uh, Did you but anyway, it? like when fans do send me stuff, I, I do definitely am appreciative, probably because how it started for me. Did you get the Favre year. autograph? Heck no, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, all right, let's see uh, another one from the people here. What was the greatest play call or some of the greatest play calls you've been a part of? Well, there's some great play designs that our coaches come up with, and sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. You know, But one of the ones that really stands out to me is in the NFC Championship game in 2005. We ran a play. It was a touchdown pass to Jeremy Stevens down the middle, and basically our offensive coaches said, hey, if we get into this formation right here, which is a formation we're in all the time, and instead of sending the guy on the left in motion, we send the guy on the right in motion. It was Max Strong. If we send him in motion, this is really going to mess up their rules. And it was like, oh, really? Like, why would that mess up their rules so much? Well, we tried in the NFC Championship game. And sure enough, like, it just blew their mind defensively. And we hit, and, and I saw it developing. I was so excited when I go to throw the ball to Jeremy Stevens that I almost overthrew him and put the ball too high. Like, luckily, he was really tall, and, and he caught the, caught the pass and made it look easy. But um, it was such a great play design. And I just remember when it happened, I looked over to the sidelines to the coaching staff and was like, wow, that was all you guys. Like, great job. That was incredible. Pretty cool. All right, uh, one more here from the people. Uh, name rank your sibling athletes. Hmm. This is like NFL athletes. Uh, there, there's some good ones in the NFL right now, but like the funny one all the time for us at ESPN is like between me and my brother and then Peyton and Eli Manning. I think we've got like 300 wins or something like that in the NFL. <laughs> now, now the Mannings are like 200 of them or like I'm screwing the numbers up or whatever. But, um, but the, the Manning family has been really imp- impressive in terms of what they've, what they've accomplished. And many people don't know this, but when my dad was on the Minnesota Vikings in 1984, Four, Archie Manning was the third string quarterback on the Vikings that same year. So every Saturday morning, it was the little Manning kids like Cooper Manning and Peyton Manning and me and Tim. And we're out there playing touch football against equipment guys and, and backup players and stuff like that. So, so to you've see known them the Mannings since you were a kid? 
Yeah, it's crazy, right? Like, uh, and and the, the the wild part about that is just that Cooper Manning back then by far was the most outstanding athlete. Like by far, wasn't even close. I always so. hear that, but he had an injury that he couldn't play anymore, right? Yeah, he was a wide receiver at Ole Miss, um, and then and then uh, you know his his career got cut short. But uh, so I would put him as the funniest Manning, and I would put him as uh, as the best athlete back when I was nine or ten years old. So if it's three hundred combined wins, the Mannings are well, good for it, about two hundred. You're it, good it, for it, about a hundred. How many is Tim good for? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> less, less than ten. Less than ten. I know that. <laughs> who's the, who's the better actor between Eli and Peyton? You know what? I think Eli's making a strong push here. Yeah, I think we've seen Eli's personality come out, and uh, I think he's making. A, I've enjoyed the Manning cast and seeing his personality come out. But uh, you know, some people think Baker Mayfield's the best actor on TV. Like I've actually heard that people are saying I like Baker Mayfield as an actor sure. more than Peyton Manning. Which I, I that's a that would be an Baker's upset. Baker's pretty to me. good, man. I like the one yeah. with Alice Cooper. That's yeah, those good. are good. <laughs> the boots. I, I think it's hard hard to unseat Peyton, though. Both Peyton and Eli were very good on SNL. I would say Peyton was probably better just for the one sketch where he's pegging the kids and yelling at them. But they both did a great job on SNL. Oh, he's out in the out the yard yeah. throwing and just hitting the kids, <laughs> knocking them down with the football. Great. Yeah. yeah. All right, man, we got to run. Good stuff, as always. Thank you. Uh, fun to talk some playoff football with you, and thanks for answering questions of the people. Uh, we'll do it again next week. Awesome. See you guys. Pretty cool. There's Matt Hasselbeck. Every Wednesday at 9 o'clock, you can always download that whole thing at either 710sports.com. Go to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. You can subscribe to the show. Come right to your phone. We'll be back tomorrow morning. Oh, I got a special guest tomorrow. You know who's coming on the show tomorrow? Old friend of mine. Jesse Jones is going to be with us tomorrow. Nice. At 8 o'clock. Yeah, we're going to get Jesse. Just for fun. He loves to talk sports. He played fullback in college at... Montana State. So always fun to talk to Jesse. So we'll do that tomorrow. We got a whole bunch of other stuff planned as well. We will talk to you at 6 a.m. Stick around for Jake and Stacy. Goodbye.